from the parking lot. To the tunnel. Check it out. Have fun. Unleash. Let's go. To the 50-yard line. On the field. This is your field pass with DCI's Dan Potter. Welcome to the Field Pass. I'm Dan Potter with DCI's Jeff Griffith and Michael Boo here to review the 2019 DCI World Championship CDs. Guys, welcome. Good to be here, Dan. How you doing? Good. Michael? Same here, Dan. Good to run into you again. It is a four-CD set, but we're going to break all of the content of those CDs into six podcasts, and our intent is to take one or two cores from each of those CDs each time and review them all. So we're going to start out with Seattle Cascades, Jersey Surf, Troopers, um, also Phantom Regiment and Boston Crusaders. We're putting five in this first podcast. Jeff, Michael, I know that you guys have listened intensively to this release. And the first thing I've got to say is props to Noise Floor Productions for their amazing mix on these CDs. I hear things every time I just listen and don't watch a DVD or Blu-ray. I hear things that I never heard during the summer, and that it takes a lot of skill to bring those subtleties out, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, this is really the first time I've kind of been able to dive into specifically the CD audio mixes. I often, you know, before I started working for DCI, I had to get the Blu-rays and the DVDs, and hearing those those that CD audio, you pick up stuff in the front ensemble, you pick up little intricacies in the brass book that you just don't hear, like you said, on the sidelines. So really cool to listen to that crisp audio. Even from the battery, I notice you know things from the snare line that I didn't hear during the summer. Michael, do you see the same thing happen to you? Well, for one thing, you could hear stuff uh, in the old days. Sometimes all we heard was the front ensemble, which which did not make the uh, CDs a very pleasant experience for many people. But they they seem to have it all figured out now, and I don't know if it's microphone placement or. Less microphones or more microphones, but I can I can address that. I think it is microphone placement. And if you, as a fan, have ever sat close enough where at World Championships, you're looking at the drum major, thinking, "Why is there a mic stand in front of the drum major?" That's why they move that stand up in front of the drum major to avoid picking up too much ambient sound from the front ensemble. And ever since they did that a few years ago, I think the mix has been a whole, whole lot better. Well, now with amplification, you actually get a much better blend the further back you are because they've got this amplification thing kind of a lot better figured out than they had even five years ago. Well, let's get started with number 25, Seattle Cascades. Their show was called Off the Grid, and right off the bat, they play John Mackey, Asphalt Cocktail. Good to hear that piece in that show. Uh, Michael, let's start with you. Your thoughts on Seattle Cascades this year. Seattle Cascades is one of the cores that I never figure out why they don't place any higher than they do because they have they have shows that are always so embraceable and they they invite us in. Uh, there's nothing off-putting about what they do. And if I was bringing someone in who had never experienced drum corps before, they'd be the perfect core to start with because there is nothing super hyper intellectual about it. They pick a theme, they stick with it, 
and it's always very, very charming. And and I don't mean charming in a sense that uh, that is less than say intellectually stimulating, but it is it, it's charming in a sense that everything just works and it's a pleasant experience. And asphalt cocktail, which I really didn't expect, you know, remember Blue Colts did it back as a closer in their 2010 Metropolis show. Uh, the future is now. And the same year, Pacific Crest did it in their second tune of Maze. And automatically, it's not a piece I would associate with the Seattle Cascades doing, but, but it, it, it really it really worked for them. And uh, I thought they did a very nice job, and it, it drew me into the production. Michael, it's funny that you use the word charming because specifically to I've Got the World on a String, their second tune, I wrote down the words delightful, comma, charming. Uh, it, it was a charming show. And, it, it, and it's kind of funny to say that Asphalt Cocktail is part of a charming show because the piece of its originality, uh, originally uh, John Mackey wrote it uh, in his program notes. He said, picture the scariest New York City taxi ride you can imagine. And despite that, it it just is a captivating, delightful little show. Jeff, what do you think? Yeah, I have to agree. I thought um, I caught this a few times. The one time that I specifically remember um, enjoying it was in San Antonio. Um, and I walked out to the field. And I'll never forget this moment. I walk out onto the field. And this, I feel like, totally aligns with this charming vibe you're talking about. I walk out onto the field to talk to one of our photographers um, after the show ends, and I'm just kind of waiting for it to end and watching. And then all of a sudden I hear, never going to give you up. And I just can't help but grin on the sideline because I don't think I've ever heard a drum corps play that song and I'm just kind of bopping to it it's Seattle Cascades and like you said it's fun it's charming and I'm like this is good this is entertainment you know it doesn't have to be you know while Asphalt Cocktail is a very intricate piece it doesn't always have to be something incredibly you know heady or, or you know you're like over the head kind of thing it was just a fun moment and I just remember smiling on the sideline there in San Antonio and I remember I even going up to our photography photographer and being like did they display it ever going to give you up he's like yeah i'm pretty sure they did and it was fun I, I i postmarked that here on my notes at around the five and a half minute mark if you're looking for that part of the show on the uh, the audio recording but that was a highlight for me for sure they're they close with high wire and uh first core out of the shoot that we're talking about here big mellow sustain i think 2019 may go down as the year of the mellow sustain well i have yeah. to be inspired by 2018 of course yeah, yeah. you know Another thing, it's hard to believe that this show, as delightful and as wonderful as it was, made it into semifinals by only one-tenth over Louisiana Stars. Right. But this core, I am always just charmed by. And they they have, they have figured out who the Seattle Cascades are, and they're not trying to be anyone else. Yeah. Now, I mean, to their credit, this was... You could call this a competitive step forward for them in terms of this is you know, their return to semifinals for the first time since... 2016, I do believe. Um, they jumped up a spot from 2017, from 2018, having just missed the cutoff a year ago. I think they got held out by um, Legends or Spartans. 
And then they improved by about a point and a half on final score. So this was a step forward for them, competitively speaking. But I have to agree, Mike. I remember um, seeing scores come in and just not necessarily thinking it was wrong because I wouldn't want to discredit any other cores that finished ahead of them or below them. Understood. I always find myself thinking, this is a good core. You know, and not that 25th to 26th is bad, but it feels like, you know, right there with the other world-class cores. And I, I think that, if anything, that tells us just how kind of, you know, strong top to bottom things are. That they can be as good as we see them, and 24 cores can score ahead of them. Absolutely. There is just so much competitiveness up and down the ranks there. It's, it's, just, it's just amazing. Placing 24th, Jersey Surf with Fantasy. E and C is spelled S-E-A. It was a uh, underwater-themed show. And listening to the CD, guys, I really felt, I actually felt more underwater just listening maybe than I did when I saw the show. Man, when you listen, you're underwater. Definitely. I actually wrote down here. I mean, I tend to be a more music-driven guy when it comes to drum corps. I mean, I grew up playing music. I was never really into the visual side of things as a performer in high school. Um, so I'm often drawn to the music of a show, more so than the visual design. And like you said, I couldn't help but be struck by not only the soundscapes that created this undersea feeling, but also just the improved musicianship of the core. I mean, one moment that really stuck out to me was at the end, I don't always love a quiet ending, but sometimes it's done really well. And I thought Surf, in particular, had a really nice, peaceful, quiet, cool ending with beautiful front ensemble arrangements. And the audio from this recording really brought that out. It's, it starts right around the 10 minute mark to the end of the show as this kind of fade out front ensemble heavy ending. And it really kind of hammers home that undersea ocean feeling that you're talking about, Tim. The first thing, when I when I Googled fantasy to see if there was anything out there, the first thing that came up was, uh, did you know that was a title of a 1980 surf movie? Huh. And it's okay. and its its promo tag was, it's not just a surf movie, it's an adventure. And you can kind of say that, that all of Jersey surf shows are adventures. They, they take you somewhere. In this case, they took us under the waves. And uh, I, I was wondering how many people... Jeff, were you aware that The Oceans by Gough Richards was played by Santa Clara Vanguard in 1996 at their La Mer show? Well, Mike, not to date myself, but that was the year before I was born, so I'm not aware. <laughs> okay. Well, that's that's uh, why we have the internet. <laughs> I can see what kind of podcast this is going to be. All right. <laughs> a little bit of everything here, Dan. A little bit of, a little bit of, a little bit of the spectrum. My, my favorite musical moment from the fantasy show was the Moses and Marco Polo uh, bit from the Marco Polo movie. Yes, but, but actually this was not a movie. This was an NBC miniseries ah. from 1982. Huh. And NBC broadcasted and a network in Italy also broadcasted at the same time. 
And uh, this this was that was the series that starred Kenneth Marshall of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Oh yeah, right. So yeah, Ennio Morricone, which is more known to uh, listeners for pieces such as Gabriel Sobel, which many 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 chorus have performed, mm-hmm. but but a beautiful piece which I I had never heard before. Interesting choice of, of music throughout. I mean, the Mackie Aurora Awakes, which was done by Legends in 2011 and Madison Scouts just the year before, and I wonder how many people remember that, uh, was so different, uh, so aggressive. And Marco Polo music was, uh, the, the main theme was you know just very lovely. But each piece, like you said, when you listen to it, it, it kind of sounds like you're in uh, that hotel in the Seychelles that's under the water <laughs> you're, where your room is, you know, a big acrylic thing and you're just watching the stuff float by. It, 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 it really does give that impression. And Jeff, you pointed out that you were much more aware of that than watching it. Definitely. And, and I, I, you really hit on something. I've got to agree with you. I cannot, I can't explain why. But it sounds almost more underwater than it does watching it, even with the underwater visuals. Yeah, even with a big blue tarp that flies over the entire core. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that does point to the importance of audio design in shows uh, in recent years and going forward. You know what? It all starts with the music. If you don't have the music, it really doesn't matter what the visuals do. It, it's got to start with the music. And... You know, for a while, for a few years, it seemed to me that a lot of core shows were very visual driven. Right. And the music was not, and Dan, we've talked about this before, the music didn't seem to be as important. Yeah, I think through much of the 90s and early 2000s, that was a good Yeah, for some reason, listening to these CDs this year, you don't think as much, I wonder what they were doing visually here. What what, what was going on? What flags were, no, it doesn't matter. The right. music's just wonderful to listen to. And visual is added to the music rather than the other way around, which I've sometimes had that impression before. Definitely. Yeah. Okay, that's a good example of that. And I don't, I don't think we can move on from Surf without giving them a little bit of props for their competitive success this year. This this was arguably, other than maybe Pacific Crest, the most improved world-class core of 2019. I mean, they jumped from 30th to 24th, made it to semifinals for the first time since 2014, and improved by six points in score. So... A lot of cores saw improvements this year for a variety of reasons, but Surf was one that particularly made that step forward. Six placements doesn't happen overnight. That's not a common like year over year trend we see from a core. So major props to Surf for the year they had. They were well, a- you know, in, in prelims they were 19th in visual analysis, and that that certainly <laughs> helped. Yeah. And what what really helped was they were no lower than 25th in anything else. Exactly. Yep. Well, as I said earlier, we're sampling a little bit from each of the four CDs in this set, but since it's an odd number, we we took number 25 and 24 together here off of disc number four. Let's move to disc number three, placing 18th in 2019, The Troopers, 
and the show was Beyond Boundaries. Uh, there's some Persichetti in here, Michael Giacchino, uh, To the Stars by Randy Edelman, and then some music from the Orville uh, to end the show, which was very cool. Beyond Boundaries with the Troopers. I know that this was arguably one where a lot of what drove the theme was the visual, um, because I think a lot of what they were trying to do was a multi-layered concept of Beyond Boundaries. In talking to some of their staff and some of the people involved in the core, Beyond Boundaries was meant to be obviously what we saw, which was kind of this outer space general feel to it, as you can see a lot of the music. I mean, you mentioned uh, the Star Trek music by Giacchino, you mentioned To the Stars, um, but uh, we also saw things visually, both in the visual design and in the uniform choice that were kind of pointing to this idea of beyond boundaries being last year they celebrated their 60th, moving into a new 60 years, if you will, or into a new era after this is, you know, this kind of pivotal anniversary. What's the future? What's new? What can the troopers become beyond the boundaries of their previous 60 years? And so I think you see that a lot in the visual, in some of the effects they do, but um, musically speaking, you mentioned a lot of different pieces that you know, are very enjoyable listening. Enterprising Young Men by Giacchino, as I mentioned, is from Star Trek. That's one of my favorite pieces of all time. Um, but the ballad to me, uh, to the stars, I believe it's from Dragonheart. Um, beautiful piece. Love the arrangement. That's around the six and a half minute mark if you're listening for it. That was probably my favorite musical moment that I've heard out of Troopers in the three years that I've been with DCI. Um, I love that ballad. Michael? Well, the, uh, the, the Persichetti was, was just, uh, just a few seconds at the beginning, and then we went right into Enterprising Young Men, uh, which fans will remember from uh, Cavaliers did that at 2013 Secret Society. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was the second piece of Seattle Cascades Intergalactic back in 2015. So it's a piece that audiences are familiar with. So I think in introducing us to a lot of music that we aren't familiar with, especially from Troopers, they th- they threw in a couple things to make us comfortable, uh, to kind of cover up, not not cover up, but to mute the effect of uh, the blue and white mock turtlenecks, which were definitely not Trooper-ish. So to me, the whole ti- the title Beyond Boundaries, uh, I think was almost a sly aside to beyond the boundaries of what the audience expects the troopers to be. Bingo. Music was quite, was, was pleasant. Not what we ever expect. You know, there's really nothing Western about the show unless you consider these uh, references to uh, the Star Trek music and the Orville, you know, the outer space uh, being... Uh, very pioneering, uh, you know, movies about pioneers, much as Troopers Origins were pioneering to the West. Uh, now they're opening themselves up to not only just the West, which they were for several years, just the West, 
about the rest of the world and, in fact, the universe. And they're telling us, uh, you know, we have that wonderful little piece called Wondrous Light by John Estacio, which uh, was a celebration of the Aurora Borealis. It's the piece oh. it's from is from a song called Borealis, and it's inspired by the energy and speed that the lights dancing through the sky make. You know, when have troopers really looked towards the heavens before? I think this is this is a new a new thing for them. Other than a sunset in the west, I don't think they really have. I musically, I loved the chorale, the Carl Jenkins uh, chorale number four, I think is what it's called. Yeah, chorale six slash Cantus from Song of Aeolus. Oh, okay. Yeah, 1996 piece. Uh, Jenkins did a whole series of New Age albums, all called Adiamos. Troopers have shown that they could do beauty. Absolutely. And they could do it they could do it very, very well. Moving on now to the second disc in the four C D set, Phantom Regiment finishing just in the top twelve in twenty nineteen with I am Joan. Michael, let's start with you this time. Thoughts about Phantom Regiment last year? Well, it, you know, 12th place for Phantom Regiment was quite a bit of a scare. And yet, I, I thought it was a very nice show. It was a very nice show. It was very regimenty to me. And, and by that, you know, there's certain things we expect Phantom Regiment to do. And, you know, they had a lot of references, the very militaristic look. And they, they had Star Wars references to the evil empire the rebel cause in in promoting Joan of Arc and of course bringing back the fire of eternal glory from their uh, what did they play the 1993 uh, modern imagination show when they were third place I mean that's just it's amazing that to me that it's taken that long for that piece to come back. It's been one of their encore tunes forever, uh, ever since then. Yeah, I think uh, in the sense of whether or not it was typical Phantom, I think it was enough typical Phantom Regiment with enough atypical Phantom Regiment that it didn't feel like one or the other. It was it was very different in a lot of ways from what, you know, what, personally I'm used to Phantom Regiment from like 2010 on. That's when I really know Phantom Regiment. And to me, there's a lot of that still there, but like they played 30 seconds to Mars for goodness sake. Like, that's not Phantom Regiment to me at all. But like you mentioned Fire of Eternal Glory, that's incredibly Phantom Regiment. And I think mm -hmm. that was in a way part of the idea. Jeff, you know why the Vox Populi was selected? Uh, 
because of the the chorus, the yeah. the call the call to arms, the choruses. This is a call to arms. Gather soldiers, time to go to war. This is a battle song, brothers and sisters, time to go to war. Right. And that that is perfect for Joan of Arc, who oh, motivated people like that. That was the the musical moment that I wrote down. It's two musical moments because I personally I love when chorus are able to take a piece of music, whether it's the lyrics of it, the the general feeling of it, whatever. However, they need it to be this for them. I love when chorus are able to use a piece of music in different ways as a through line, and this was that because the show opens with a very lyrical, piano backed arrangement of that chorus that you talked about with a pretty female voice kind of setting the stage and then it kind of goes into more of the militaristic things we talked about um and i love that and then they bring it back in right before the closer sounding like the original it's a driving exciting piece um and it's got the the recording of the core singing that chorus with you know exciting percussion music and the fact that they used it in those two very different ways to kind of create that through line of this battle song this battle cry this call to arms was my personal favorite part of this show from musical perspective. I think we started out talking about Phantom as being, you know, a really close call getting in uh, to the top 12 in 12. Right. What kind of competitive season will we remember Phantom having this year? Well, I think Phantom is another one of those cores, kind of like um, what we mentioned with Seattle Cascades, where you look at them in 12th, and if anything, that points to how good 1 through 11 are. Because I think yep. we all agree that Phantom Regiment didn't feel like a 12th place score. And I look at 12th place scores of maybe 10 years ago, and it, it feels to me like night and day. Um, that being said, they are the highest 12th place finisher of all time in terms of raw score. Their score was the highest by any 12th place finisher across DCI history. 45 consecutive finals bids. That's nothing to scoff at. And um, their music was a fantastic strength. This is a, I mean, we talk about some of the music selections, the musical moments. They got 10th in music, so they beat two cores ahead of them in the music caption. Um, which again is nothing to scoff at. So I think a lot of in a season that a lot of people will look at as dang they got 12th. There's a lot of other highlights that point to it being a strong year, even if in terms of how things fell, in terms of the ranking, maybe didn't feel so much like that. All right, let's go to the first disc of the set and number six on the year, the Boston Crusaders, the Goliath show. Um, if you would have ever said, Dan, somebody's going to combine my shot and the theme from Rocky and you're going to love it, mm -hmm. I would have told them they were crazy.
it worked. It all worked. The the music selections of this show, from start to finish, were just so fun. Um, the the one thing to me that kept sticking out was they kept using "Everybody Wants to Rule the World" and it was never the same. You know, they have it as this opening impact that's like right in your face, very very emulative of their 2017 opener, which is big, brassy chords, these big impact moments. Then they bring it back as their ballad. And it's it's very different, it's very lyrical, it's very flowing. And then, some people probably didn't notice this because it was a change late in the season, they bring it back at the very end of the show. They have that this 3-4 driving moment after Goliath gets beheaded and the everybody wants to rule the world melody comes back in the high brass on the dotted quarter note. As someone who loves motifs like that, I was losing my mind when I, when I first heard them do that. I think they brought it out in prelims. I'm not positive, but I believe that change came out in prelims because that's when they added all of the extra visual stuff on top of the beheading with the red blood coming over the prop and whatnot. Um, but you mentioned my shot and you mentioned Rocky and the combination of those with the Herald trumpets. And it's, it's, it's the kind of design creativity that has made Boston so fun over the last three years because it's not – you know, and not nothing against shows that are more intellectually driven. It's not heavy. It's not hard to figure out, but it's not cheesy either. It's not hokey. It's just entertainment value, and that's what that's what made people love Goliath. This was probably the most diverse musical selection of all the top cores. Absolutely. Because you you mentioned Lin Manuel Miranda's My Shot, and uh, where and you mentioned the Tears for Fears. You look, we also had John Coltrane. Right. The music was all over the map. It should not have worked as well as it did. Right. Looking at it, because uh, I was asked to, it, it, planning for this, how did you feel when you first you know, heard, before the season began, what the chorus were doing? And I looked at this repertoire, and it was like, it, it was just a little bit of this, and a little bit of that, a little bit of something else. It's like, how can they make that cohesive? I, I was stunned by the end of the season, how cohesive it really was, because the repertoire is from like every possible music style you could have in drum corps. And you talk about the, the, the thought process of that shouldn't work. I think, if anything, um, not to disagree with you, I think it's, it's completely understandable to, to see this repertoire and think that shouldn't make sense. But if anything, I think seeing Goliath and shows like it that, you know, that carry that kind of diversity in musical selection, if anything, it tells us this should work, do it more. You know, like that they had such an entertaining show with so many different things. Like you could be a Hamilton fan and enjoy three minutes of this show. You could be, you know, you could be someone who loves Tears for Fears and enjoy blips of this show. You know, you could be a drum corps fan and love every second of it. But there's something for every type of listening, which in a way, like I was never, a, I, I never loved the song Everybody Wants to Rule the World before hearing this show. But the fact that it was tied in in, an, in a way that fit the story 
was musically entertaining and also tied in between other pieces of music that I love, like My Shot, for example, it never lost your interest, you know? So if anything, I think a show like this tells us more cores, give it a shot. It's also, it was such a visual show live, and, and I'm uh, assuming watching the Blu-rays as well, that you your brain is occupied with the storytelling that's going on and the amazing visual presentation that's going on and the giant being beheaded and all of these things. I would encourage people to listen to this track on the first CD uh, because there is music there that you you heard but you didn't pay attention to this summer. I guarantee you, you're going to find stuff that you absolutely will go, wow, I didn't know that was there. That's cool. I absolutely agree. Dan, I think, we, I think what, what you're talking about there with the idea of people missing a lot of the musical moments, I think the ending's a great example of that. And yeah. largely because they change it so much. I mean, I, I was lucky to be able to see this show in Detroit, saw it in San Antonio, Murfreesboro, Atlanta, um, championships. So I saw it a few times throughout the tour. And it was, the ending especially was like never the same. So in Murfreesboro, they added the beheading. Uh, and then in um, later in the season, they <laughs> added more kind of musical breaks to make the fight between David and Goliath kind of stretch out more. And then the ending that I mentioned earlier, which had that little musical Easter egg and everybody, everybody wants to rule the world. It also, um, they added the musical Easter egg um, that like that two, one, three rhythmic kind of pattern that isn't like every show of theirs, that bump, 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 bump. They added the conquest right. quote. Yeah, exactly, exactly. They added that at the end of the show. And it's another little Easter egg that if you're focused on David killing this giant and cutting his head off, you're probably not hearing those little musical moments. I mentioned to a friend, I'm like, did you hear that conquest quote in there? And she's like, no, I had no idea. I'm like, listen again, it's there. And it's, again, it's the product of a show that's very visual and visually encapsulating with the, you know, the first place color guard for the second year in a row that almost got a perfect 20. Um, so understandable to be lost in the visual of this show but again so many key musical moments that as a like i said a musical mind myself that's why i love the show props to the guard props to the drill design i love the music Jeff Griffith, Michael Boo, this is going to be fun. This is the first of six podcasts. In the next one, we'll uh, again take a core from each of the discs, and we'll do Music City, Madison Scouts, Crossman, and the Cavaliers in our second podcast. Guys, thanks. You can purchase Drum Corps International 2019 audio tracks online at marchingmusicdownloads.com, on Amazon, and Apple iTunes and purchase the CDs in the DCI online store.